Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., this is a podcast from Minute Media. I mean, our guys, I think we've talked about it. It's part of, you know, this is not a normal thing to do your body seven days a week for seven or eight months. And, you know, it, it's, what are you going to do? We don't, you know, all around self-pity. Nobody cares about your problems, really. Um, our fans do, but people we're competing against don't care. And uh, we like... You know, the people that have, that we've surrounded ourselves with that can, nobody, you know, with the track record or uh, max, but, you know, this is not a sky's falling team, you know. Pitches once every fifth day or sixth day or seventh day for us, so we'll make the adjustment. I'd like to have him. If we don't, we, you know, the season keeps going, right? They don't wait for us. Ask Jake. You know, it's a great opportunity for guys like, you know, that, that we're talking about bringing in here. And, you know, got some guys that will meet us in Denver and try to hold the fort. And we got some rough estimates about when we'll start to get some of these guys back. But usually the baseball throws you another curve somewhere along the way. You just keep uh, ducking and dodging and, and see if you can get to the end game. <laughs>
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, May the 20th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to a short edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. And as a matter of fact, as I was looking at the schedule Mets embarking on uh, a six-game road trip, Colorado, San Francisco. Snow in the forecast, a week away from Memorial Day, and we're hearing 30 degrees in snow. Uh, the baseball season is wacky. It hasn't been, well, maybe it is getting wacky like in prior years, but boy, I mean, I keep talking about football weather, and uh, there's snow in Colorado. Are we playing the Broncos? Are the Mets playing the Broncos? Uh, I decided to come to you uh, after the day game. wasn't sure. But obviously with a late game in Colorado and then a turnaround into San Francisco right after that, I was looking at the schedule and I thought it made sense to do a short in between our last program. And boy, did the news cycle not disappoint because how can I not come to you before the Mets embark on this road trip after, uh, you know, obviously a 48 hours of holding your breath, bad news, a topsy-turvy up and down game and uh, a polar bear that... Well, you know, made a really sour day a little bit more palatable with one of his uh, loudest and longest home runs uh, of the season, and maybe the maybe the bigger one of his maybe the, not the biggest, but the a bigger one of his career because I think that really helped uh, lift the team after the news of Max Scherzer and the disappointment of their ace. You know, while Degrom is out, arguably their best pitcher, even with Degrom there going down for what looks to be until the All-Star break. So it'll be interesting. And before I get to that, what's funny is that all I do is throw an innocuous tweet out there. You know, Twitter's an amazing place. And I, look, I saw the, and I'm not one of these guys that gets crazy about the hot dog and the home runs. I don't like a lot of it. I think the celebration after every hit gets a little exhausting. But look, that's the game today. Uh, I'm more, I think, the more you do something, the less impactful, the less fun it is. Uh, I also am a guy that remembers the first time I saw crazy home plate celebrations, I think, was uh, the 2000 Mets when they used to, they started doing the pound the head on home plate. I remember being in the upper deck, like I said, after the Agbayani home run and watching from above the pounding of the head on home plate. And I thought, well, that's different. That's pretty cool. That's, that's you know, that's that's demonstrative. But I mean, Pete. Taking a helmet, like a three-point shot, throwing it, and, and then jumping on home plate. Uh, come on, man. I didn't like the horse last year. That came out like once or twice, and they got rid of that. And I don't like this. But then I get criticized and get off my lawn. And, you know, everyone's like, you've been ratioed. I don't understand what that means. Like, I'm looking at the the the, the tweets back. I'm like, oh, where? You know, what does that mean? But... All right, I'll get it out there because some of you who follow me on Twitter at Mike Silver Media might be wondering. I'm just, I just made a general point. I didn't like it. That doesn't mean he doesn't. I didn't say he doesn't have a right to do it. I didn't say that the whole bat flip and enjoying and celebrating and and styling, you know, it should be outlawed. I never said that. I just, it, it's not my cup of tea. But be that as it may, anybody, and here I go, the bingo card. Get the bingo card out. Check it off uh, for those that follow. If you follow another Twitter, 
I mean, these are all things that if you don't follow me on Twitter, you don't know anything about. With all my little check boxes of things I, or taglines or things I go to, you guys know I talk about throughout the baseball season Thunderbolts. And those are events that are tremendously catastrophic to a team. And the Mets have had pretty much already won with DeGrom. DeGrom's going to be out. I said that from the start to the All-Star break. And then a second one where Max Scherzer, I mean, other than an arm injury, which would, would have been catastrophic. Any other injury, this is probably the worst of any other non-arm injury, in my opinion, because it's it's something that you have to just wait out. And he, he, can't, he can't do any of his normal baseball activities with the throwing and whatnot. So it's almost like you're starting over and there's going to have to be some component of ramping up in spring training. Now, the good news is a guy like Max Scherzer, you know, basically, uh, I think, knows his body well. And is going to do everything he can to get back pretty quickly without risking his health or his long-term situation on the mound. We did know, and if you guys all remember, when this whole situation, the conversation about Max Scherzer came up, I was against the signing because I said, well, I don't care about the 40-plus million dollars as long as it doesn't impact the Mets from building around him. But keep in mind, this is a guy that consistently in the last few years has had nicks and and, and, the neck in Washington— couldn't make his playoff start in, in L.A. To his credit, he's not a guy that goes out there, not because he's a soft guy. He wants to make sure everything is going because he wants to be a peak performer, and he wants to play the long game, and that's what the Mets are playing here. But I warned everybody that this is part of the contract. You know, I don't want to hear, oh, look at the Mets. Woe is the Mets. This always happens to the Mets. This is Max Scherzer. It's just like the Dodgers with Clayton Kershaw. This is Max Scherzer. You know what you're going to get. You know that you're only going to get a certain amount of starts out of him. And uh, you thought Jacob DeGrom was a bit of a freak thing last year, uh, but he's becoming a bit like that, too. And these are, th- you know, north of 30 pitchers throwing hard, uh, violent deliveries. I mean, you know, Max is not uh, uh, terrible. You know, he's not the greatest mechanics, I think, in the world, my personal opinion. Uh, much, much worse than Jake's. And, uh, you know, like Buck has said over the last, and I think it was even in the clip coming in, the pitching motion is not a normal thing. I always remember, and I can't remember if it was a postseason game or if it was against the Mets. And by the way, just as I say postseason, I bet you I popped my pee on there. I've been listening back to the shows, and I'm popping my pees, and it drives me nuts. Anyway, um, I remember watching a slow-mo of Andy Pettit coming around lefty, former Yankee, of course. I'm sure you know that. If you don't, I just told you. And there was like almost like a muscle being twisted out of his arm on the side on the slow-mo. It was like really, and, and they pointed it out. I wish I could find it. You could see the violence in a pitching delivery just from that Andy Pettit slow-mo. It had to be, I, I think it's a, a, one of the Oakland series where they slow-moed him. And I was like, ooh, that's nasty. That's ugly. And it showed you, for the first time as a young baseball fan, showed you how violent. This isn't like a, you know, lobbing a wiffle ball out there in the backyard. This is the violent pitching motion. But in the past, and, and look, Thunderbolts, those are the things I call it. The Thunderbolts are things that teams have to deal with, and some are bigger than others. And the thing is, if you deal with them enough and you push through them and it's the next man up mentality and you don't let them uh, consume you or make you feel sorry for yourself, like the fan base will do, especially if you lose a couple in a row, uh, you become somewhat immune to them and it's next man up and and you're like, hey, just like I said back in spring training when DeGrom went down, act as if he's not going to be here. Now you have to act, well, this is the team that you're going to have. And, uh, you know, I don't want to hear, well, how many more days till Max comes back? How many more days till Max comes back? Get the calendar out. Start checking it off. It's not like an advent calendar where you're going to check it off and say, let's, let's see when he's going to come back. You, you got you to gotta move forward. 
You're a bit of a different team now. And I'll get to that. But here's what makes me laugh. We prospect hug in the media and in independent media and fans, and even sometimes on this show, we talk more about prospects now than we ever did. When I started coming into this prospect talk was just beginning. Our friend over at SMY.TV, Joe DeMeo, uh, was always doing it. You had guys like Jonathan Mayo. You had um, you know a few guys here and there throughout the blogosphere. And mainstream, they only talked about prospects when, hey, it was like a red light, flashing red light in their face. Guy was about to come up. I mean, when I watched baseball in the 80s, I mean, Greg Jeffries was like the first big prospect that you heard about. But you only heard about him when he was ready to come to the big leagues. You, you didn't really hear all. It wasn't like all of 1988. It was being written about, talked about on talk radio. No, you were talking about Strawberry and Hernandez and Gooden and so on and so forth. So um, um, we talk about these prospects. And then when it comes time to say, hey, let's see what Zapucky has. And boy, am I, am I going to struggle with that name? I know I've said it right sometimes and wrong sometimes, but I'm going to struggle with it. Z- let's see what Thomas Zapucky has, who had a cup of coffee of a cup of coffee during the replacement situation last year and seems to be pitching better down in Syracuse and maybe healthy. Now let's see what he has. Uh, right away, it's like, well, who can they go out and get? Now, it seems like Billy Epler, because he knows he doesn't have a tremendous amount of depth in young arms, Felix Pena... Now he's got Trevor K- quietly signed Trevor Cahill to a minor league deal. He's going back to his Angels days and trying to find guys that he knows. Cahill's a guy that hasn't had any, a good season in a long time. That's a, that's a scrap heap guy. But similar to Jordan Yamamoto, who I even forgot was still in the organization, who I had said that, you know, when the Mets had him, I thought I was somewhat bullish on him because I thought he had some potential. He was a, a, a big prospect with the Brewers. Uh, I think they're trying to almost do the uh, uh, laboratory approach with some of these scrappy guys. They're sending them down. I think it even sent the Khalil lead down to single A to like work on things. It seems like they see something. Maybe their analytics department sees something in these guys. Obviously, Billy knows these guys from being a general manager before and having these guys in the organization. And they're bringing them in and like, okay, if we're going to bring in scrappy guys, we're going to bring them scrappy guys that we know. So they're kind of trying to figure this thing out. And I hate to pick on Robert Stock because anybody who pitched in the big leagues deserves respect. But I know everybody thinking this is going down the Robert Stock hole. And now you're going to start to see openers and things like that. And to a certain degree with Trevor Williams, who another guy I actually have been and dumb me was willing to risk losing him to keep Robinson Cano. And I kept saying not, I was always like, hey, send Dom Smith down. But that's why you can't lose any pitching. What you just see right now is why every pitcher is valuable. Why it was such a tough decision when the roster needed to be cut down to even expose Sean Reed Foley, where luck, unfortunate for Reed Foley, he has an arm problem. He's out for the rest of the year. So, you know, the Mets have guys, Peterson, McGill looks like he's he's progressing nicely to be back. Guy Zapucky, guys that we, you know, you you talk about these prospects over and over and over again. And then it comes time to say, okay, let's see what the kids got. And it's like, oh, got to go out and find somebody. Well, what do you think? You think he's going to be cheap? You think getting a starter is going to be cheap at the deadline now? Everybody knows the Mets need one. So it's just that observation It makes me laugh. Now, I already see everybody feels much better about the Mets, and I think a lot of that has to do with Buck. And, and Buck, the messaging was on point. Nobody's going to feel sorry for us. It's next man up. Uh, these guys, the sky's not falling. That's the theme of the show. The sky's not falling. And it's a team that doesn't really get too... Uh, high or too low. And I think that's very important. 
because and I think that's why the Pete home run or the the way that they played against St. Louis after Scherzer went out when the air came out of the balloon and then the subsequent tough win and I think the let me tell you something the Cardinals are a tough team the Cardinals are a team you don't you have Arenado you have Goldschmidt you have some nice bats but they just do a lot of little things offensively. You know, they got a nice bullpen. They got a nice like, Cardinals are a good team. That if the Mets play the Cardinals in the postseason, that might be a really, really good series. The 06 series is really good. That's a sore point for all of us. That might be a really, really good series. I have a lot of respect. I mean, I know there's been some bad feelings with hit by pitches. If you want to talk about media and stories, a Mets Cardinals postseason series, whether it be a seven gamer or uh, you know, wild card playing type of thing, You know the, the, the new series they've got, that would be a really, really fun, maybe division series, whatever you want to call it. That might be a fun series. Um, I should say a, a play in the you know, it's first round, divi- divi- you, you guys get a division series, so on and so forth. I, I don't know what they call it. Everything changes. The CBA is kind of like thrown together. I'm still learning. I'm still getting my, my feet going on this whole thing. So it was really, really important because I think you saw the next up mentality Right in front of you. Right in front of you. Aces are important. You guys all know the schedule's going to get tough. June is brutal. The next six you know, games between the weather and Colorado, it's always tough. Even when the Giants are not great, San Francisco's a ballpark where I feel you go out there. Uh, I think it's, a, it's definitely a laid-back atmosphere. The ball never carries. You know, it's, it's chilly at night, even in July. And I just you always feel like you go there and they're close games. And, um, you know, the Mets can learn. Now, not to can the Mets learn a lot for the Cardinals. The Mets can learn a lot just by as they go out to San Francisco. The Giants, when they won those three titles in a matter of five years, they were a team that's similar to, like I said, the Mets. They had a lot of guys that just did just enough. They weren't sexy. I mean, they had, they had Posey, and they had uh, Tim, Tim Lincecum, and then they had that wacky closer, Brian Wilson. But, uh, you know, they, they, they did just enough. And that's where this team really is. Um, yes, the ace is important. You know why the ace is important? It stops losing streaks. It allows you when you're in that little nervous time and you're not getting your out of your own way offensively where they're just going to shut the other team down until you figure out a way to score. It's almost like a security blanket. It's more important than that, but in, in the best of times when you're a team that needs an ace, it's that security blanket to know, yes, we have a tough game today and we lost. Tomorrow's matchup doesn't look good, but hey, we got Max going on Sunday. We got Jake going on Monday. Whatever. Those games, those are our games. And it's also probability-wise, probability and remember back to what Billy Epler said in, in spring training, even the best teams have like a 15 to 17% chance to win a championship. It's just in a probabilistic game, it's really like going to the, the, the blackjack table or the roulette table, whatever you want to call it. Put your money down on black, red, whatever. Uh, it just gives you better odds. I mean, that's simple in baseball. But the Mets are not in a position right now where uh, they have those odds in their favor. And like Buck said, nobody's going to feel sorry for them. Did anybody care? Did you care last year when Ronald Acuna Jr. went down for the Braves? You were happy probably. There were probably people static. Oh, there you go. Goodbye, Atlanta. Big bat out of the lineup. There we go. Mets division's ours. You know what happened. So, and in a way, no. This is not what you want to sign up for. You don't want to sign up for no Jake for half a season and no uh, Scherzer for you know, two months. That's Those are things that were nightmare scenarios just, uh, just uh, 60 days ago. But I'll tell you what, uh, you could become way better. And I keep going back. Do you want to think it's corny? You want to go to a bingo card? That's fine. 
when you could overcome thunderbolts like this and you could not only survive but thrive, when these guys come back, and I know I, I'm violating my own credo, but you know I think Max will be back, and I think Jake, the, Jake DeGrom will be back. Um, boy, think about the, the when you look at the long game here, think about what could be. I mean, this is actually exciting now because everything now about this team you're going to learn. You know, you, you're in that last portion. A quarter of the season's gone. You've got, you know, we said the first third of the season here at the Talking Mets podcast, we get to know the New York Mets. Well, guess what? You're going to get to know who they are in a big-time way. Now, I think the best version of the Mets, when they have, in theory, when they have their their ace, their 1A, 1 and 1A ace, Bassett's pitch, even Carrasco, or and, and as you get to the back end of the rotation, Taiwan Walker, who has the ability to be a mid-rotation type of guy, you know, maybe uh, in his best version he can give you, like Steven Matz used to give you, those number two type starters. I think the best version of the Mets is what you've seen over the first 40 games. You, you know, go out there and have a strong six to seven inning start. You hand the ball off to the bullpen for about five to six outs, and you've got an elite closer. You score just enough runs. You've got your four runs a game. You win a tidy 4-1 win. Diaz closes out. Sound the trumpets. Let's dance. Let's get off the mound. Let's do the high fives. Go home. On to the next day. Not sexy, okay, mind you. Sometimes it can be, but doing enough and built on pitching and defense and elite closer. That, to me, is the best version of the Mets, and that's and that's how you're going to have to win in the postseason. You're not winning a lot of 11-4 games in the postseason. You're not. And sometimes you're not going to have seesaw. You may, but there's not a lot of 7-6 seesaw games in the postseason. When you go up against Kershaw and Bueller in, in the playoffs, or you go against a Cardinals team in the playoffs, look at what happens. You had Chris Taylor hitting a, a home run to beat the Cardinals in a playing game last year. You're winning 2-1-3-1-3-2 games. Look at the Yankees when they played Houston in the seven-game series. They weren't 11-10 slugfest. You, sometimes you have those. Think of the Phillies and the Blue Jays in the 93 World Series. You have those. But for the most part, the way the Mets have been playing, that's how you win. Now, throughout the regular season, you go through ebbs and flows in different versions of yourself. That's how the 2015 Mets had to play. Really, really good starting pitching, Familia, and just enough offense. But they went through their period when they were hot in August and September where they'd go into Philadelphia and they'd win 14-7 to or something like that. That's not the kind of team they are. But you have to adapt and adjust. And as you go through the journey, that's what's important. And now the Mets are going to have to adapt and adjust because guess what? The offense is going to have to say, hmm, we, haven't, we have some good numbers. We have some contradictory advanced stats. We just went through that on the prior show. And the pitching, specifically the starting pitching, has carried us. And Diaz has been great. He was very unlucky yesterday. That is prototypical Diaz of what, I, I mean, the walks kill you. Again, it goes back to walks will kill you out of the rotation, but specifically out of the bullpen. They're a death knell. And that's why, and I, that, that was almost what killed That's what hurt him and almost killed him, for lack of a better word. But he was very unlucky. I mean, all soft contact. That's, how, that's the only way you beat Diaz now. If Diaz is on, that's the only way you beat Diaz. Um, you know, the, you, you, you basically have to go out and, 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 and start to step up and maybe win some of these 7-6 games. You're going to have to maybe get nine outs out of your bullpen. You're going to have to see what you got there. Colin Holderman is a guy that maybe, you know, I've criticized the Mets. 
You don't develop anybody. You don't develop anybody. Now you've got Steven Nagosek, who was one of the arms that – I mean, all these arms that they traded away during the sell-off. What was that, 2017? I think he was part of the Addison Reed trade when they traded him to the Red Sox. None of them really worked out, and they all flamed out, but maybe Nagosek has figured something out. Adonis Medina, a guy that was a top prospect in Philadelphia. It's, they're talking about piggybacking him with Trevor Williams in a start. I mean, he, he's, he had some promise. You know, is there anybody else that they could bring up uh, that could help out of, out of that uh, in that bullpen? Uh, Jake Reed, I always I told you, like, yeah, nice little, you know, he's been sent down because he has options. There's Jake Reed. So now you need to say, you know, we got some interesting arms. You got some live arms. Uh, can you get, and you still have Carrasco and Bassett, cross fingers, right? Those guys, in theory, and especially Carrasco seems to be able to give you length. Those guys could be your guys that give you the best case scenario where you get into the seventh inning. And then are your other guys, like your Taiwan Walker, uh, like your when McGill comes back, David Peterson, whatever else they want to go through, Scrap Heap, Zapucky, whatever. Can they give you five innings, two runs? Can they give you six innings, three runs? League average, probably. But listen, five innings, two runs, Mets score five. You're up 5-2 going to sixth. Hey, bullpen, you got to get that done. It creates some complications because of the A team, B team, and that stat that came up, which is probably a snake bit stat now, where uh, the Buck has done such a great job and the, and the bullpen was so static out. They're really not going back to back and they're kind of being treated like they're in the minor leagues where you pitch today, you're off tomorrow. You're probably not going to have to have the luxury to do that. Adovino had to be str- pushed a little bit because of the situation when Scherzer got uh, knocked out with the injury. Um, now, you, but, but that's why, as a good manager, while well, managing the bullpen is so important, where people get crazy, you know, why is Buck not going for it here in April when it was like the third game of the season against the Nats and he let Trevor Williams uh, out there in the eighth inning? Well, you don't do that in game number three against the Nats because when you burn him out in April, Jerry Manuel, Fernando Nieve, 2010, look it up. Uh, now you have problems in May when this comes up. It's about the long game, and you have a manager that's sending the right message that can handle major Thunderbolts. No other manager that the Mets have had, probably since Bobby V, could handle what has been thrown at them. I think this is worse than last year. Last year was bad because it was the, the position players, and it seemed like every day. And the games was so, it was like you were in mud. You were in quicksand because they couldn't score. This is worse because your foundation of your rotation was built on these two guys. And you knew it was a high-risk game. This was a high-stakes poker game you played. Because everybody knew the age, what the Grom was coming off, and how the Scherzer has these periods. I figured Scherzer would have a 10 to 14 to 15 day stint out of the rotation. I didn't think he'd miss two months. And 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 it's not an arm injury. I think DeGrom, you hold your breath more because that's very, very, very tricky. They're going to handle him. Between now and the All-Star break, you don't have your two aces. Deal with it. And you're probably not in a position unless things get really bad to want to go out and give up prospect capital for another arm or a bullpen arm. You got to you gotta spend. It's almost like, okay, the getting to know you phase is not being extended because we know what the Mets probably need. We're get, But it may be to a certain degree. We may need to see. By Memorial Day, we, we already kind of know what this team's about when they have their all their pieces together. But we're really going to get to see 
what this team's about. Do they have the offense that we think they have? Because now they need to step up. How much bullpen depth do they have? Are there arms in there we're not even talking about? Because you also don't want to start ripping apart the farm system in July to get a bullpen arm when Tommy Hunter might be able to come in and do something similar. I mean, I know what you're saying. I know what everyone's going to do is like you, you, don't, you want to go for the gusto. And the good news is it sounds like Steve Cohen wants to. And that's the mindset that's been missing from this organization for so long is a winning, like, let's go that extra mile. Financially, they couldn't always do it, but sometimes they felt they're like, eh, let's go out to the ballpark, enjoy the, the experience. Oh, darn, you know, it was a tight game. We almost won, but that's what it's all about. And to a large degree, that's really what the entertainment business is all about. Mets used to say it to me all the time. They're marketing people. Well, Mike, you have to understand, uh, you know, uh, this is not like Pepsi or Coke where your experience of opening that can is the same because I have a product, product quality control team. I get it. I can't... I could spend $300 a pop to have really good seats to go to City Field and the Mets lose at love and nothing. That's not what I signed up for. I get it. But in order for me to show up, McDonald's Family Sunday is not going to get me to show up. The fact that this is a team that could win long term and is going for it makes me show up and then makes me a fan and makes me fall in love. And then just like the Yankees have been so good at doing, they become one generation becomes the two generations. And then guess what? business person, marketing person. I know the deal. I know what those things are. I'm not just some, you know, bub that's walking in here. Uh, that's called annuity business, and that's what everybody wants because that's how you become a powerhouse. So I, I'm, I digress on that whole thing. So Thunderbolt, right guy in charge. Let's see what this team is all about. Now it's time to kind of adapt. You can't play the blueprint. You could, and maybe you can with Bassett and, 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 and uh, Carrasco, uh, who's who? I've been wrong about. I, I'm okay with being wrong about things. I a lot. I hope I'm wrong about Dom Smith too. By the way, guys, um, maybe you could play the blueprint that way, but you certainly can't necessarily count on that with Peterson and McGill and things like that. So, anyway, I'm not done. I'm losing my voice, but I'm not done. Let's take a quick break. Francisco Lindor. I know I said it'd be a short, but I want to stay on a little bit longer. Francisco Lindor, I thought he got testy for the first time with the media. You're going to hear that right after this break because I need a break. I need to get uh, some water here. And I want to bring up Lindor because I think that he now is going to become more of a focus, especially with the fact that the offense is going to need to step up. And I think we have to really understand. I'm not going to get into the whole marriage and, you know, you, you, don't go, you go on a date and, and before you get married. We've had that Lindor conversation. What really is Lindor and what is realistic about Lindor? And we'll have that conversation. We've had it before, but let's have it in a much more serious way right after this. I feel like the process is there. You feel like you're doing all the things you need to do to have success? or I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm working. I'm doing whatever it takes. Um, just fire the game, too. The pitchers have nice cars, too. Lindor bangs one up the middle, and he's on base for the eighth consecutive time. He got on base his last four plate appearances last night, and now two walks and two singles today. And Lindor all of a sudden getting on base every time up. Well, he was struggling early in the first half of, of May, and when you break out, you usually break out hot. have nice cars too and if you if you've seen i mean you had to really watch the body language 
of Lindor in that clip to really get the full Monty effect. I, I looked at it and I'm like, and this is where maybe you could fake it on Zoom a little bit, or maybe it would have got more awkward on Zoom. But this is where being in the space, you know, and interacting tells you a lot about different people. Lindor is a sensitive guy. He want, and I think I said this. Let me start off this segment because it's this. This show is going from a short to a regular show in record time. Let me start by this. You guys know the old narrative I've given. I didn't. I didn't mind the Lindor trade. They didn't give up anything that I thought was going to be painful. I think Jimenez is starting to come around. I liked Jimenez. Think he's a component player. Could be Rafael Fercal, which that's a pretty good player. Rosario drove me nuts with his baseball instincts. I didn't think his process was going to lead to him being uh, uh, elite. That he, you know, uh, to the level where his prospect status, uh, I think, uh, put him in. I think that that was always the case. And before the segment is over, I'll actually bring those guys up because I haven't really been paying attention. Paid a little attention to Jimenez, Rosario. So when they made the deal. I wasn't, yeah, Rosario's not hitting. I mean, let's get serious here. Um, when they made the deal, I was like, okay, cool. Not the most painful deal. And they had the kid, Isaiah Green, the raw talent. Maybe that's the guy that they regret down the road. Whatever. And I said, that's a deal that's not going to be as painful. And you're getting an elite player. Last year, the contract. That's why you're able to make that deal. And we'll see what happens. And then you got an owner who could sign him. Where it got bad for me is giving them the big contract. I mean, I hate 10-year deals. Those are commitments beyond belief in baseball. And I said, okay, similar to Scherzer, as long as it's not going to hurt the investment in the team, and it has not year-to-date, all right, it's only money. But now you're stuck with them. It's not like you can say, well, I want to go out and get Carlos Correa. I want to go out and get Corey Sager. I want to go out and get X. No, he's your guy for the foreseeable future. And then when he's not a good player, and he won't be at the end of that deal... You're going to have a very expensive bench player, similar to what Anaheim had with uh, Albert Pujols. Maybe you know, maybe he'll his body may last better than Pujols, but you get where I'm going on that. So I said, this is what happens when you saw you. You, you didn't really get to know the guy. You you, you went on basically one date. And you said, oh, we're we're ready. We're hitched. We're getting married. So you've heard that whole thing. And then as the season went on, and he had his injury issues, and he had his issues adapting to New York and the team. It wasn't all his fault. The team overall was trying to get out of this. And and you can see the negativity right away this week with the injury news on Scherzer. This yoke that I talk about, about how being a Mets fan and this this heavy uh, you know elephant on the back where they haven't won since 86, and every time something bad happens, the sky is falling, even though Buck says it's not. Uh, you saw that last year. And then he has the big three home run game on a national stage, ESPN, Subway Series, Yankees. Those are moments, and, and maybe with the way the Yankees are playing this year, maybe we're going to have something I am looking at long term. Maybe the Subway Series will have some juice for the first time in a really, really, really long time. I have to be honest, it's been a really long time. And he has that big game. And I said it during that, that and you can go back to September and listen to that if you want to go scroll all the way back. I said, he just wants to be loved here. You know, he doesn't have, he doesn't really want to be, he wants to be an emotional, energetic leader. He likes doing the thing where he's on ESPN with the microphone and he could, you know, smile and make his play and do a double play. He doesn't really want to be the team's spokesman. He's not a Scherzer guy that's willing to go up over there. He's not Bassett. 
and those are starting pitchers. You really want to have, uh, you know, he's, I don't even think he's like Pete who likes to be the center of attention. He's not that guy. You know, he think he kind of wants to to be on the field, an energetic leader, have some nice conversation, laugh, chuckle with the media, do the whole coming to America bit. But when the, it gets hot, he's like, I don't, I don't like hearing that. And I think he realized, I don't think he realized this is not the Midwest. This is New York. This is an intense fan base, an unfair fan base. And I think it's a psychotic fan base at times. I think it's an unhealthy fan base. Really, honestly. I hate, and some of you are in this audience, and, 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 and I'm a big New York fan. I think there's a lot of unhealthiness to the fan base. I've tried to move away from, I think, the unhealthy part of being a sports fan here in New York on multiple fronts. And tried to, and that's why this show is what it is, or I think it's healthy. Um, so you come here, and, and that's what you experience. But I think the thing, and, and I remember listening to a podcast, and I can't remember who talked about it. It was a Cleveland writer who talked a little bit about how Lindor was getting chasing a little bit with runners in scoring position. And if you looked at his trajectory, and I said to everybody, everybody thinks this is a guy that for three years in a row was top 10 in MVP, finished sixth uh, in uh, 2018. This is a guy that everybody thinks is going to hit 35 home runs, steal 30 bases, drive at 100 runs, play gold glove defense. You think you're getting A-Rod. I didn't see that. Now, as recently as 2019, he hit 30 home runs, stole 22 bases, hit 285, 118 OPS plus. Right now, he's got a 118 OPS plus. He's on pace for about 25, 80, probably steal about 20 bases. Batting average, probably a little bit less. Right now, it's probably going to be on pace to be 250, 260. Uh, I mean, he hit 230 last year. I mean, that's that's unacceptably low. But maybe he's sacrificing a little bit of average for power. I think that's a bad move with the way that the ball and the game is trending more to a 1980s pre-steroid era style of play. It should be more about contact and walks and getting on base, which, as you heard on the clip, is what he started to do a little bit. You started to see that against St. Louis. So what, here's the problem. Lindor started to, yeah, got off to a good start here in April, started to slump, strikes out to end the game against the Cardinals. You're not seeing a lot of the, defensively, He's a good, really good defensive player. You want to know why? Here's a little thing. I don't even think this will show up on any advanced stat UZR. The play two nights ago when the ball dropped, Cannon didn't get to the ball down the right field line, and he had to throw out, I don't know, was it Arenado running to second? The stretch that Lindor did on that play, go back to the replay. You go to MLB.com. It's free. You can watch it probably. The stretch he did was what made that play. Yeah, Canna quickly grabbing and throwing and making a good throw, that's the play that everybody focuses on. But the stretch is why the out was made, and that's Lindor. Now, he's made some bad errors. His balls you probably think he gets he should get to. UZR indicates that he's not a positive fielder, but then his wins above replacement is better. I can't figure this stuff out. I look at the eyes. I think he could be, I think he could be better defensively. I know he's good defensively. I've seen him. And uh, can he be a gold glover? I think so. He hasn't won one in a long time. But uh, we'll see. So you're starting to put all this together, and you're like, well, $35 million a year. I want A-Rod, but I'm getting Omar Vizquel with some pop. And that's true last year. But here's the thing. You've got to put aside, we all, myself included, I have to lose. This is the last time I should talk about marriage, getting, you know, dating before marriage and Lindor and the contract and all this stuff. Um, 
you got to lose want him to be A-Rod. Because I don't think he's ever going to be A-Rod. And I don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to hit 30-something home runs, especially with the new ball. I think he's a guy that's not going to be a vocal leader. I think he's an energy guy. I think he's a vocal energy guy in the field. I think his teammates will appreciate him far more than the media or the fans will. And I think you're always going to point to the fact that he was supposed to be the Steve Cohen franchise player. And maybe he's just really, really good. And he's one of a lot of good players on the team. And when it's all said and done, we'll see if Pete's evolution, where he's becoming a more complete hitter. Pete Alonso is probably the star. I mean, right now he definitely is. And Lindor is a really good player that does a lot of really good things. And there's a lot of nuance to his game. Just gave you an example. But he's in there with McNeil, a really good player. Escobar, I know he's struggling, but a really good player. Starling Marte. I mean, is when you think about Starling Marte, it's they're, they're different positions, but you're kind of in the same vein. Good defensively, does a lot of good things, 20 homers, 20 stolen bases, gets the job done. And you're not ever going to like that because you want Lindor to be A-Rod because he's supposed to be the 10-year contract like A-Rod got with the Yankees, Lindor's supposed to be. And when the postseason comes around and there's a short series, and if he hits a buck 10 and the Mets lose, they're going to blame Lindor. And mark my words, over the next four or five weeks, there's going to be, Mets got a nice lead, seven games. So this whole Scherzer thing comes at a time where it's not like they're the Braves and they're eight games out. And now you're like, how are we going to, how are we going to keep par, stay in this race? And if we don't win the division, try to get into one of these playoff spots with expanded playoffs. You're not in that position. You've got a cushion. So if you play 500 ball for three weeks and the Phillies or the Braves get hot, I'm sure the Braves will. Yeah, you'll probably go from seven games to three, two, three, four, maybe. But you're still ahead. And then three weeks are three weeks less that you're, you know, you're three weeks closer, hopefully, to obviously the trade deadline and maybe some reinforcements. You're three weeks closer to getting DeGrom and Scherzer back. You don't think like that. You have to say this is the team we have. But when you play the long game, that's ultimately how as a front office you're like, okay, we expect these guys back, but the message isn't in the clubhouse that. So you can, and maybe even if they play well, and that's the hope. If I'm Buck, I push them. We are playing at a 100-win pace, and we want to continue at that. So it's about today. That's why it's about today. But I will tell you, inevitably, they're going to have a slump. They're not going to play 650 ball or win 6 out of 10 every 10 uh, paces. They're going to have a 3-7 and seven stretch. They're going to have, you know, you hope they don't have a 1-9, 2-8. That's what things, that's the whole ace conversation again because that aces don't let that happen. But you're going to have a four and six stretch. You know, you may, you're going to probably lose three in a row. You might get swept in a series. Look at the Dodgers. They had a bad series against the the Phillies. The Phillies were a strike away from sweeping them in a four-game series in Dodger Stadium. No Kershaw, by the way. They're in a, you know, nobody's feeling so, you feeling sorry about the Dodgers? So what you're going to do is if Lindor's not hitting during that span, you're going to blame him. If he hits, you're going to say nothing. Now, I don't think he's uh, helped himself. I think, you know, I thought the rat raccoon thing was overblown. Um, you know, look, he was trying to show some leadership and tell McNeil, hey, man, get on board with the program. Get on board with the program. Um, I think his interactions with the media are superficial, and the media doesn't want superficial. And for the first time, you heard him get testy. He's sensitive. So if you guys are going to go out there and boo him until he's A-Rod, he's going to play like Omar Vizquel. 
You could hold them accountable without beating them up. And that's the unhealthy versus healthy sports fan in New York. The unhealthy sports fan says, I will beat you up until you are who I want you to be. The healthy sports fan says, I will hold you accountable. That's, I just made that up on the fly, guys. I, I kid you not. That's your, th- there you go. Add it to the bingo card. Add it to the bingo card. So let me just give you a couple things here. You know, and that's all about reframing. I'm not trying to defend Lindor. I, I just told you he's not A-Rod. He's not, I don't think he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. I think he's a really good player who plays good defense, does a lot of little things defensively, has good energy, has pop, um, uh, you know, could steal the base. All these, he's a, you can't really ask for more from a shortstop unless you have just a, a good field, no hit, Mark Belanger, Ray Ardonia's type. I mean, he's not going to be Ray Ardonia's defensively, but there's not many people in the history of baseball that were Ray Ardonia's defensively. But look at some of his, if you go to baseball reference, look at his similarity scores as a player, and, they, and they're, they're just doing it offensively. you got guys like Marcus Simeon, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, uh, Javier Baez, Xander Bogarts, Jose Ramirez, Chris Bryant. Yeah, you have a, a Didi Gregorius or a Jonathan Scope or John Valentin name pops up, and, and those are not sexy names, but they, they're guys that have good seasons. Similar batters through the same age, 27. You got Hanley Ramirez and Troy Tulowitzki and uh, uh, Cal Ripken Jr., Derek Jeter. That might be a stretch, but, you know, Jeter, look, Jeter had good numbers, but it was all about the, the fact that he was good at the same level in the postseason against elite pitching. I mean, Derek, Derek Jeter's Robin Yao. Really good Hall of Fame career, but they lionized him. I mean, most similar by ages. I mean, the, again, Cal Ripken Jr.'s name comes up. That's a Hall of Famer. And again, this is just a, a database using whatever. I have no idea what the algorithm is. I don't care. Because everybody's in the algorithm. Everybody's on the same playing field. I don't know what they value. I don't know if they value on base percentage, war, what the war means with fan graphs versus baseball reference. Because it's all made by somebody who thinks they're smarter than everybody else. And it makes uh, makes this radio show, this program, fun because it gives us plenty of things to chew on, all that mental bubblegum. So my message to you is I don't want you to sit back and wait for him to be A-Rod. And I don't even know if he's going to be Xander Bogarts or Jeter or any of those guys. I, I More than likely, he will not. Uh, let's face it. I think he's going to be a really good player. That could hit you 15 to 20 homers, drive in 75 runs, hopefully hit 270, steal 20, 25 bases. And I want him, most importantly, to continue to do the little things defensively. And, you know, let's face it, if you could play gold glove defense, that would be, I'd, I'd sacrifice a couple of home runs and a couple of stolen bases and maybe a few points in the batting average for elite gold glove defense up the middle because that would be special. And that probably will save more runs than a solo home run in a 7-3 win would. So, and, and contribute more to wins. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Bits podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.
The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Does this really count as a short? Because it's not a short podcast. It's the Talking Mets podcast. All right, what am I going to do here? Um, I don't. I think I'm going to try to push the next show till after the road trip. I think we have to sit back, relax. I think there's going to be obviously the snow here and doubleheaders, bad weather. And, you know, I, I like I think this content that we had today is a great conversation, something to think about. And I think it's going to last a little bit. So there may not be a show on Sunday. So just put that out there. By the way, I'm, I'm taking a beating on Twitter about the, the Pete thing. I, and I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I just threw it in the show. I'm not going to have a I could probably have a whole 30 minute conversation about it. Um, but they call for those who listen. I like how people say, well, I unfollowed you. Well, if you unfollowed me then a while back, why? Why are you? Why are you, you know, coming after me? And I actually had like five or six people unfollow me because of that. Like if that, if you're that soft that you can't handle me, say I wasn't. Cra- I didn't criticize that you shouldn't do it. I wasn't crazy about it. I wasn't a fan of it. It's my, it's it's my personal opinion. It didn't change. I love Pete. I mean, if you unfollow because of that, you if you're that soft, let me tell you something. And you're listening to this. Take some friendly life advice from good old Mike Silva. Is the best advice you give. Life is going to get a lot tougher. And a lot more is going to come at you than Mike Silva tweeting that he wasn't a fan of the Pete Alonzo celebration. And for the record, I'm 45 years old. You can look it up. I mean, people have looked me up. I know you do. Um, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm Generation X. I was born in 1977. Okay? Not that hard to find who I am. I'm a pretty open book. All right? So let me correct you on a few things if you really want to know. If that's your big thing. If your big takeaway is, well, this guy has a, a show, uh, how? Well, it's a, it's a pretty good show. I've had some pretty big names on this show. I have a lot of good relationships that I cherish with members of the media. I criticize them, but there's a lot of guys that, that, that off the record will tell me, you know, Mike, I, I agree with you. you know, we're not gonna get, you can't do that when you have a job. I have some really good conversations with important people in the sport and the Mets. Great conversations that I'm not going to tell anybody on this show. And, it's, and, 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 and people respect what I have to say. But I laugh because I'm like, man, Twitter's a cesspool. <laughs> it was a fun thing at one point. And I don't care. I just, you know, look, I don't know how much it, I don't know how much more reach Twitter will get because this, this show and what goes on in the, in the podcasting world is where people are going to find me and what have you. So I'm not sure. The other thing is, you know, I'm hearing everybody try to want me to do a, the, the YouTube along with, you know, when I record, Eh, I don't know. You really want to see me sit here? I mean, my office is cool. My studio's cool. I probably like the background, but you really want to see me? I have to comb my hair? I gotta, you know, I, I got to worry about if I have a zit that you're going to say something. I'm not going to be a fanboy and wear a hat. I'm going to be like a professional. I'm going to, you know, like I went to go to work. And then God forbid, you know, and I got to, I, you know, in the days of Zoom, I thought half the world wasn't even wearing pants. I got to wear pants too. I can't just wear shorts or – I'm joking. I'm wearing pants, okay? 
All right, so enough. I got to get off. I'm going down dangerous roads. You got bingo card stuff. We talked about Thunderbolts and Scherzer. We got a little uh, you know, dating and marriage conversation about Lindor. Uh, I thought it was a fun show. It is a show. And look, if there are things that come up that require us to come back before the end of the road trip, I'll be here. So we'll take it at that. We'll leave it at that. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet. God help me at Mike Silver Media. And you get the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast soon. Till then, have a good road trip, everybody. Take care. For the park and greet the Mets Hot dogs, green grass, all out of shape Guaranteed to have a heck of a day Because the Mets are really rocking that ball Hitting those home runs over the wall Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.